beautiful. And uh, on three, two, one. We are speaking with the one and only uh, Danny Bowes of the band Thunder. I uh, make no apologies for this, but Thunder is by far one of the greatest bands ever to have graced the uh, face of the earth. (laughs) I love you. I love the band. And uh, the new album, All the Right Noises, uh, comes out March 12th. I've had a chance to hear it. It is absolutely phenomenal. And as we say here in Montreal, a place that you haven't visited since 1991, mind you, uh, bonjour. How are you? Uh, bonjour to you, my friend. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, uh, I'm fine, but I am, um, I have to say, I think, I don't think I've ever been this busy in my life. This new album has um, really lit a fire with a lot of people. We're getting requests for interviews. Constantly. Wow. I mean, it's like, it's it's like our, like it was when we released our second album in 1992. Yeah. Just insane i think i did about 13 hours worth of interviews yesterday wow really 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 long day it's probably been the most intense day so far i'm not complaining trust me i'll talk about this album forever and a day yeah well, and and it gets it gets to your back because i've been doing interviews all day and at some point you're just like oh, i just want to stand up but uh let, let's let's get into this you know uh for me i, I want to focus on the lyrics on this one because you know i'm not a lyric guy when i listen to kiss or aerosmith or you know just rock and roll all night walk this way i'm good i don't need to know the deeper meaning and yet listening to this album all the right noises and you're talking about brexit and you're talking about politics and you're talking about depression you go oh okay um, talk to me about that and, and, and the lyrical content on this one and not just being, Hey, fluffy, 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 party, party, drink some beer. Talk to me about the lyrical content on this one. Well, I think Luke said it himself. He writes about the things that he cares about, things that are on his mind. And I think he's during the period when he wrote this album, 2018, 2019, I think he must've had a lot of stuff that was getting on his nerves, you know, because there's a whole bunch of it on this album. I mean, to an extent, there's always been social commentary on Thunder Records on pretty much every Thunder album. There's at least one song that deals with serious subjects. I mean, we we had climate change on the first album. There was stuff about the homeless on the second. Um, There was, I think there was child murder on the third album, you know, and on it goes, you know, there's, there's always been some, um, social commentary. I think for me, the beauty of this and the way that he's put this record together is that he's able to deal with very serious subjects and very angry feelings in a way that still makes you want to tap your toe, tap your foot, jump up and down, dance, sing. And, and it's still an entertaining thing. You know, some people write angry records and they just make you upset. He doesn't seem to be able to do that. You know, it's clever. He's a very clever boy. He really is. And, and when you hear a song like Destruction, which, which does deal with mental illness, uh, you're, you are taken aback by, by the music that goes with it because it's, it's just absolutely so well constructed. So let me just quickly talk about the sound. You know, you look at bands uh, back from the 70s and 80s and that are still recording and you go, eh, might be time to stop recording. I think we've heard enough, but thank you. Whereas with Thunder, you get to Wonder Days, you get to Rip It Up, you get to, to this one and you go, you know what? These might be the best albums you've ever made. Um, 
Talk to me about that fire and, and that desire to keep making music, and not only that, but but top what you've done and, and become better at what you've at what you're doing. Well, that was a very conscious decision when we went away uh, in 2009. We we had no intention of making any more records. We felt like we were done. That was it. And then we were lured back for the occasional show. And when we did the thing with Journey and Whitesnake in 2013, that really kind of rammed it home. You know, we were opening the bill on a three band bill in arenas on early. But the whole audience was in when we went on. And it was a sea of thunder shirts and everybody knew the words. And we were thinking there's something going on here. You know, why are we opening this? And this is, it's this good. This doesn't feel right. So we decided if we were going to make another record, probably the time to do it was then, but we still needed to talk about it because we felt like towards the end of the previous period, like thunder version two, we were getting a bit kind of stale, a bit worn out, a bit tired. Um, I was tired. I think Luke was very tired with the writing. It was, it's a fairly kind of relentless mill that you can put yourself through. Uh, if you just keep writing and recording and writing, recording and touring and writing and recording. So we talked about it and we said, we need to make some changes. We need to keep it fresh for ourselves. We also recognized at the time that we probably had more years behind us than we had in front. And when you start thinking about it like that, you start thinking, well, none of us are getting any younger. So if the next record we make ends up having to be our last record, we need to be really sure that we're proud of it because that could be the one that everybody remembers. And so that was the beginning of a process. We started addressing everything, looking at everything and saying, well, how do we make sure that we raise the bar in between each album? explore new areas and tick as many boxes as we can for ourselves as well as our audience. And I think that was really where it started. The quality started to go up. Um, We addressed the way we work, even the way we record. And as a result, I think we've ended up with better records. You do. And and I I will say this unabashedly. Um, by, by the time 2015 rolled around, I was sort of done with the whole rock thing and heavy metal thing. And then Wonder Days comes across my desk and they say, go interview the band. And that just, that lit a fire. I mean, that, that just bought, I'm in. I mean, I've told you before, my, my Thunder playlist is currently at 655 songs on my iPhone. So you did well. Um, two things that you mentioned. You, you did well. You, you lit a fire. So uh, you mentioned a couple of things. And by the way, I didn't, I didn't even notice. I actually have a Thunder shirt on today. So. I see that. I see that. That has not escaped me. I didn't. I didn't even have. I didn't even. Uh, that wasn't. Uh, that wasn't deliberate, actually. Um, but you, you mentioned the three band bill. Um, I want to just take you back because, of course, uh, in 2020 we lost Eddie Van Halen. In 1995, you're out at Wembley, and you're on a bill with Bon Jovi and Van Halen. Just, just for a geek, a geek moment. Talk to me about that because you've got America's. Greatest selling band at that time, Bon Jovi. You've got everybody's favorite guitarist in Van Halen. And then you got Little Old Thunder that comes in and opens that up. That must have just been a moment in your career where you just went, all right, pinch me. This is not happening. For sure. Yeah. First off, to be on that bill was a big deal. You know, to be with Eddie Van Halen, 
I mean, we saw that guy when he destroyed Black Sabbath, you know, back in the day yeah. as the opening band. We saw them do that, and that, that blew us completely out of the water. So it was a big thrill to be on the bill, uh, to do it at Wembley Stadium as well, you know, the home of English football. You know, it meant that we were able to get footballs, inflate them, and kick them out from the stage into the audience and say with our hands on our hearts, truthfully, that we did kick a ball at Wembley Stadium. <laughs> you know, That's that funny. was a big deal. But I think one of the best things about it for me and one of the memories I will treasure was we got the audience. Somebody came and knocked on our door and said, would you like to meet the Van Halen guys? And we went, <laughs> yeah, really? Yes, we do. <laughs> and Please. so we went along, you know, and we ended up in their dressing room and they were all in there. And uh, Alex is sitting there with a neck brace on. And um, Eddie had a, a, a kind of walking frame, like a Zimmer frame. Right. And um, they're kind of shuffling around the room. And, um, you know, we walked in and said, everybody okay? Yeah. This all looks a bit weird. Yeah. And Alex said, uh, oh, yeah, well, if I don't wear this, my, my head falls off. And we laughed. And then we said to uh, Eddie, you know, are you okay? He said, oh, yeah, well, not really. And I've got to hip this and hip that and everything's a problem. And we said, so what's it all this about? You know, what? how did this come about? And they said, oh, well, it happened when we gave up drugs. <laughs> Apparently, when they gave up taking drugs, everything started to drop off. Oh, Until then, they were fine. And then, but the best bit, and this was the best bit of the whole, and it was only five minutes. We just chatted. We talked about the tour and the audiences and how great everything was going. And they said that they were leaving the next day. And we said, well, you're not coming to Europe to do the rest of the shows. And they said, no, 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 we're going back to America. And we said, why? Why wouldn't you come to Europe? They said, well, we've got shows to do in America. And to be honest, we're sick of you kicking our butts every night. And you could have killed me there and then, you know, right. if I'd have died there and then, that would have been the happiest death of my life, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, I do. And, and and it's amazing, by the way, how Van Halen, for some reason, uh, were an opening band in Europe, even in their heyday. I mean, who knew? Uh, speaking of, of live shows, and I want to talk about the Thunder live show because it is spectacular. You do have All the Right Noises TV special coming up on March 13th and 14th. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Is that a, a, a sort of a typical live stream you stand you play your music and off we go or is it something different because it's called tv special so yeah what, what are we doing well we watched a load of bands doing live streams and we felt we couldn't do something like that a thunder show relies so much on the audience you know being in the room with us we bring we've always said it we bring 50 percent. they bring the other 50 percent, and between us we make the show so to take an audience away and expect it to be as good, we knew we couldn't do that. So we basically resisted every time anybody asked us to do one. And we had at least 50 offers from different people who wanted to stage it. And we just said, no, no, no. The point came where we had to put our UK arena shows back twice. We, we put them back to from November 2020 to May this year. And then a few weeks ago, we came to the conclusion COVID was not going to allow that to happen again. So we put the shows back for another year to May 2022. And the realization of that was so kind of miserable. The idea that we were going to release this album in March and not get to play these songs live until May. It just destroyed us. You know, we came to the conclusion we have to find a way to do something. So 
we started racking our brains and having discussions with various people. And we decided the way to include the audience was to do it via video. So we offered it to our fan club members and all of our fan club members joined in. Uh, not for the whole thing, because I think they'd have all lost the will to live. It was a very, very long day filming it. We filmed it last Friday, um, but it was, it was a very long day. But we allowed them to be part of it and to grace us with their presence for, I think it was about an hour, during which they watched us play three new songs, three old songs. And we did a Q&A session with them where they asked us questions and we did our best not to screw up the answers. And it was really marked just how different it was when we were filming it on our own and when we were filming with the audience watching us down the pipe. It was amazing, absolutely amazing, the difference. And had we been able to do it so they'd been there the whole day, we would have done it. Yeah, and listen, I'm I'm booking that weekend off to sit and watch it because, you know, apart from the 655-song playlist, I've never seen Thunder live because you don't come to North America. And we're going to fix that. I'm going to win the lottery, and you're going to come. <laughs> well, um, we'd be more than happy to, for sure. <laughs> uh, let me just talk about this because you have in the past and on Wonder Days and on the other stuff, you've done videos of you live in the studio performing the songs and you put them out and, and they're great to watch and I love it. What's the approach for recording? Do, do you sort of sit back and email each other parts and then pro tool it to death? Or are you at that old school where you say, no, 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 no. We got to be in a studio. You got to set up the drums live. You got to. And so how do you sort of put together all the right noise in the albums? Are, are you a on the floor live band or are you one of these tricks, you know, smoke and mirror trick kind of bands? No, no, no. It's it's I'd say it's probably. There's a bit of modern technology of used where we feel we need to, but in the main, the band plays. Um, I don't always sing along with the band because, to be honest with you, they screw it up so many times, I would lose my voice. Yeah. So what we tend to do is Luke writes the songs at home. He records demo versions of them. He sends them to us. We have a good laugh because he sounds a bit like he's being strangled whilst being thrown down the stairs when he's singing them. But I know what he means, you know, so uh, I'm able to interpret what he wants. And um, and then we go into the studio and we smash them out. The difference between the demos and what you get when you hear the album is just that swing that, you know, the, the stuff that happens when you get a real band playing in real time. And it it transforms. There's a, there's a kind of a, an X factor that, that, that kicks in. I know that's a swear word, but it does. There's something that happens that is really hard to define. It just changes from something that was very computerized and regular into something that's very real and very human. And that's what I want to sing to. You know, I sing along to that. I sing probably three fourth versions um, once to warm up three to run through it in quick succession. One, two, three. And at the end of the third version, Normally, we would look look back, listen to it, and say, well, we pick that bit there, pick that bit there, pick that bit, stitch it together, and then if there's anything else that needs fixing after that, I fix it. But nine times out of ten, it's done after three goes. See, that's good, because I like that, and, and I also like the idea of there's a perfection in the imperfection. When you, when you shellac it to death, at some point it becomes so disconnected from humanity, it just becomes... So, so it's nice to hear that. Um, let me just quickly go over here to to Bose and Morley. You know, the band uh, sort of dissipates for a while and Bose and Morley comes in and fills the hole and you do different music and you're, you're doing, you know, since you mentioned swing, 
Uh, is that something that you want to revisit at some point, whether you go outside of Thunder or within Thunder and just bring in more of the orchestration and more of that stuff and just be free and not be a hard rock band necessarily and just be, this is Thunder and this is what we do and it's everything? Well, I don't see why we wouldn't. I think we've we've always pushed the boundaries. Uh, we're very aware of, of our audience and we know that our audience like what we do. But it's never stopped us from dragging them slightly to the side to the left and to the right every now and again with what we do so we've explored the funk side and the soul side and the blues side of of our influences we've um, we've dragged our audience along with us and in the main they're very tolerant they allow us to yes. do it they don't complain too much you know so we're so we're quite happy but Bozo Morley gave us an opportunity to step away from thunder um and it was much more soulful much more funky much more much more um uh, influences on our sleeves uh the problem we had was that thunder came along and became the the ever kind of hungry monster that needs feeding and it's and it takes up all our time so i don't see any reason why we wouldn't do it again as i said earlier you know we're in we're in a kind of a race against time now we take as many boxes as possible before we end up having to stop for whatever reason yeah. and we we want to make sure that we do everything before we before we stop so i see no reason at all why we wouldn't I mean, last year we did a first where we played with an orchestra out in Germany. We did a thing called Rock Meets Classic, yep. which was absolutely fantastic. I mean, to stand in front of an orchestra of like maybe 70 people playing your song, that's a lot of air being moved behind you. And the feeling is just amazing. And when you look out at an arena full of people going mad for it, you know, you just think, I want to do this more. It, it, it's really very good. So sadly covid finished it after five shows and we had 14 to do so um feels like unfinished business and i want to find a way to make that happen again at some stage as soon as possible uh, i do too and of course you had to please remain seated with the, the version of loser on there is just uh, phenomenal um the album was supposed to come out of course originally in 2020 and you delayed it i have two questions on that first of all as it sits on this on the shelf do you just sort of close the closet door and say, okay, we'll get back to it in 2021? Or do you sort of pull it out and go, you know, if we added a little something to this one, you, you know, does it, does it, do you sort of sit around and say, rethink it? Or you just sort of say, no, we're just going to put it out next year. Don't touch it. It's already done. Um, talk to me about that first. And then I have a follow-up to that. Well, we're not the kind of band as as I've already intimated with the kind of the recording process, you know, we're not concerned about everything being absolutely perfect. Gotcha. We want it to feel we want it to feel right. We want we want people when they're listening to feel like they they're kind of in the room with us. And that's why we leave a lot of the crap in between the tunes in there, you know, and the banter and, and all the messing about. We love all that because it kind of puts you in the room with us. Right. Um so once we'd finished recording it, I mean, we did it over three sessions. And at the end of the third session, we knew we were done. We waited, I don't know how many weeks, maybe six weeks for Mike Fraser, our mix engineer, to be finished. He was working with a little band. I forget. They're never going to get anywhere. I forget what they call ACDC. Have you heard of them? Yeah. Yeah. Good, yeah. good, good, little, uh, good little band. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they do all right. I'm sure yeah. they'll be fine. And uh, <laughs> so we had, to wait, we had to wait for him to finish with them and then he mixed it but once he'd mixed it we knew it was done you know uh, there wasn't anything we could do to it to make it better so what happened which never happens usually because there isn't time usually 
was we had a year to sit and listen to it and detach ourselves from it as the artists and listen to it more as a listener. And I'm now at the stage where a year later, where I don't even think about the things I, I was moaning about a year ago in my performance. See, I listen to everything I do and I'm hypercritical and I'm always thinking, could have done that better. Shouldn't have done it like that. You know, if only, if I could just get back in and do that again, I always think I can do it better. But a year later, I don't care anymore. Yeah. It, for me, it just sounds like that's the way it should have been. See, it's the artist's curse to always uh, rethink stuff. Uh, in terms of, of delaying the release, um, how do you look back on that? Good decision, bad decision? Because you look at, at streaming. Streaming is going off the charts. You look at the record companies. Profits are off the charts. Universal just recorded billions of something. Should it have been released and this let sort of people sit there and be bored at home and listen to music? Or was it the right decision to hold off? I think it was. I, I think there's an argument. I mean, I, I think the problem is in order to do that, we would have needed a crystal ball and known that we weren't going to be able to play this tour. Right. Uh, traditionally. You know, the full effect of COVID and the pandemic really, you know, it, it could it kind of crept up on everybody. I mean, nobody sort of went from there being no COVID to understanding fully the extent of COVID and the implications of it the next day. It just kind of crept up. So we traditionally would always release an album and then go out on the road to promote it. They go hand in hand. They do. So to be so to be in a situation where you release an album without knowing whether you're going to be able to play live. That's very alien for a band like us. So we did the next best thing, which was delay the album and delay the shows. And the problem is now that COVID has gone on longer. We decided the album, that's a tanker. Once we started it, we couldn't turn it around. So we have to go with the album and we can't play the shows, but you know, I don't think I don't think we would have done it another way. Not not while we thought we had a chance to play live. The uh, the one that I want to ask you about is of course uh, Terraplane. We we've talked about it before and you've mentioned that there's a certain amount of anger and anguish over what happened in terms of record company so we're not going to revisit that. Is there a point at uh, at some point where you can sort of distance yourself and and bring those songs back home and say, "You know what?" I Survive is a great song. You know, maybe we can re-record it. Or is, is the sort of the, the anguish over what happened back then just so, still so strong that you can just sort of never say, all right, um, can, can, we, can we revisit Terraplan at some point and say it's over, it's been good, or is it, nope, that book's closed and fuck off? <laughs> yeah. I, I think we were very angry at the time. Um, you know, we waited nine years to get a record deal. And when we got the record deal, we were chuffed. We were very, very happy. And three years later, we felt like we'd been through a sausage machine and we could see our opportunities just turn to dust. And we felt very um, upset, very let down, but we learned a lesson. And I think we applied all the lessons that we learned to Thunder. And it helped us enormously, certainly in the first few years. But we we kind of swore that we wouldn't do them again because it was that was like us almost like practicing, you know, practicing to become the band that became Thunder. Right. And I'll be honest with you, 
you know, there are thunder songs that go back to the beginning that if I heard them today, I would swear blind. It wasn't us. You know, it did happen. I think Toshiba in uh, Japan wanted to do an anniversary version of one of the albums and they, and they arrange with Abbey road who keep all of EMI's tapes to send them a whole bunch of thunder outtakes and thunder rarities and stuff. And when they put the track list together and sent it to me, um, I didn't believe half of the songs were us and I discussed it with Luke and he didn't believe it either. So we asked for a CD to be sent so that we could hear it. And even when I heard it, I knew it was me singing, but I couldn't have any memory at all of what it was like to do it. So that would be even worse if we went back into the terraplane stuff. So mm, yeah, I, 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 just, I, I just can't, I just can't ever see a time where, you know, we're too busy going forwards. Yeah, no, it's just that I see I survive as as, as an anthem, at, you know, because here you are, you know, thirty years later, and you did survive. So, you know, what are you gonna what are you gonna do? Uh, last thing, and I'll I'll wrap up on this because we're gonna run out of time. You have over the years, of course, on Dodgy Records and STC released all kinds of stuff. Uh, you go on eBay, and some of that stuff sells for two, three, four hundred dollars. At some point, do you say, hey, let's let's take a little bit of this one, a little bit of that one, and make some kind of package, or you sort of you had to be there, and if you weren't, tough luck. That was the original intention. Um, our discussions with our record label BMG are such that they would like to reissue a lot of our old studio albums that haven't been um, released on uh, vinyl, for instance. And and there's a whole bunch of associated material that was around things like EPs and, uh, and singles and live tracks that were associated with all of those albums. And uh, we are in discussion with them, fairly extensive discussions about the idea of repackaging a lot of the old stuff and, and marrying it up with a whole bunch of these extra recordings that we did you know the eps in between albums and stuff so i'm pretty confident that those tunes maybe not all of them but a lot of those tunes will resurface some some stage and hopefully they'll be um you know remastered and and they'll sound better than they did before yeah i mean listen i'm at 655 i've got room for a thousand easily you know well we're going to do our best to give (laughs) you a thousand (laughs) a thousand and uh We'll end on this, of course. Uh, all the right noises out March twelfth. Uh, Danny, just uh, merci beaucoup. Uh, you've brought a great joy to me and a lot of fans over the years, and uh, continued success because uh, this album is possibly one of your best. Quite frankly, you're not the only one to say that, my friend. And I have to say, I think that's that's very heartwarming because people view our album, especially the first album, you know, with very rose-tinted spectacles. It reminds them of times when they had. Um, more energy, more hair, uh, girlfriends, you know, and and no responsibilities. So mm-hmm. to say that this new record is up there with that one, I think is um, praise indeed, and uh, we'll take it all day long. Yeah, no, it really is. And, and honestly, uh, when you get a band, some of the older bands, their new album comes out, I look at it and I go, okay, I, I have to listen out of loyalty, but I'm kind of scared. But new Thunder, new FM, new, I just like, bring it on. Give, make make it two this year. One, lazy people. Make it two. <laughs> you know. Yeah, if only. If only. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Merci beaucoup. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye now.